We're talking about road trip, and we're talking about how faith operates in our lives, and, and then there's these incredible parks around the country that we can visit, and we can experience the beauty and the wonder of them, and that our faith is like a road trip. It, it has different states. It has different environments, and that we have this thing called topography, that our um, topography is how a particular park is shaped. For instance, Yosemite is shaped a certain way, and it's got these incredible waterfalls, and it's got trees and rock face. And then you go to another location like Acadia, and there's a, a lot of pine trees and the edge of the ocean, and absolutely beautiful. But then you can go to Death Valley, and you find out there's really not too much real big tree stuff going on, and definitely no waterfalls taking place, but all of them have their own topography to them, their own shape and how they're arranged. And that your faith journey has topography, that it has shape to it, it, it has highs, it has lows to it. And that there are times when you're walking with God and it's just awesome, it's great. I mean, your faith is just fully alive and, and you're experiencing God. And then there are times when you feel more low and you, you feel in those valley places or in those hot and dry moments. And, and we really think about parks. If I was to say, list the, the elements of a park, or a national park, most of us would include trees. Most of us would include lakes. Most of us would bring the imagery of Yosemite and forget that the imagery of Death Valley is just as much a park. And so I, I, I really think God is trying to help us realize that our journey is real, our faith journey is real, regardless of the topography. And all of us are different. Um, your topography may have a divorce in it. Your topography may have doubt in it. It's not normally what we vision in a faith journey, but, but your, your faith may have elements of doubt. Your topography may have addictions in it. And just because we have different topography doesn't mean that the journey's not real. So God wants us to stop comparing ourselves to, to people who are in their their time of lush green with God. And there, that is a park. That is, sometimes you have lush green. But you know, when you're not in those places, you, you look at those Christians that are experiencing strong faith and waterfall encounters and, and all that green, and you're like, what's wrong with me? Am I, is, there, is there something wrong in my life? I'll hear people talk to me about, and, it, and I know I'm not supposed to mock it because I'm actually a pastor, but people say, I oh, know I just spent time with the Lord today and, and I read my Bible, you know, and I and and I was praying to the Lord and just, you know, three birds threw by, flew by me while I was praying and they all formed the Trinity while they were flying over my head and and then, you know, um, the, these squirrels brought me a cup of coffee and it was amazing and, and you know, and, and that really is a genuine part of it. But for those that you're not experiencing it right now. You're wondering, what's wrong with you? And God wants you to realize that your faith journey has different topography. So some of us here, like myself, have been through a divorce. We know what step-parenting is like. We know what single-parenting is like and the challenge that's around it. We know what those kinds of elements are, or being married again for another time, uh, second time. Some of us here have gone through addictions and know what it's like to wrestle with breaking your, your weed habit or, or um, drinking too much. A lot of us have gone through different things. 
But unless we think it's just like the person who's soaring with God, we think it's not real. And God wants to change that perception in your mind. Also, I think he wants us to change how we um, look at other people. I, I think he wants us to stop judging their topography, their faith journey. And we live in a part of the country where we expect Christians to be a certain thing. And that Christians don't do this and Christians do do this. Let me just tell you, there, is, there isn't anything that is done on this planet that hasn't been done by at least one Christian. No matter how diabolical or how good, everything that is done on this planet is done by Christians and non-Christians alike. And God really just wants us to listen. You don't know the faith journey of another person. You don't know what they're going through. I had this buddy in, in the military. When I got saved, I got saved, rock solid saved, got you know, baptized with the Spirit of God. All of a sudden, the Word of God came alive to me, and I was like energetic. I mean, I knew I was saved. And, and I had a roommate, his name was David. And so when all the Bible study things were going on, uh, everybody wanted me at their Bible study because I was fun and interactive and, and, you know, I was really outgoing and, hey, Paul, why don't you lead the Bible study this time? But David didn't get those invites. And I remember talking to David and David got genuinely saved when I got saved. And I remember we got back to our barracks and he said, yeah, people just don't like me like they like you. And I remember saying, well, David, if you would loosen up and be a little nicer to people, if you would be a little bit, you know, shake their hands and make eye contact with them, things would really change for you. And he said to me, he said, Paul, I was abused by my father. I've never trusted any human being in my life. He said, I was not raised to interact with people. I was an only child, and, and um, my parents would leave me on hours, uh, just leave me alone. And, and he goes, I just didn't have the opportunities that you have. And God made me realize that my outgoingness was not a work of God's faith or God's grace. It was just, it's a work of my natural story. And that this guy's story was, was just as miraculous as my story. And I remember apologizing to him for judging him because his story was different than mine. And I think that's what God is trying to get us to do. So I don't know if you're going to get to travel a lot. We're going to get to travel later on in the fall and head on out to Jackson Hole and Yellowstone. But I wanted to give you a quick look at one of the less visited parks. This, this park, I, you know, I tell people, uh, if, you, if you're saving up, if the church is getting together to send me to um, Israel, um, I don't want to go to Israel. Um, I, I don't ever want to see it. Uh, it will not reaffirm my faith. I believe in Jesus. Um, and you can't ride your bike there. But this would be the place. I'm not trying to get you to all get in and send me someplace. But if you were going to send me someplace where I could ride my bike, this would be the place. Let's watch.
envision these as national parks, but this is Arches National Park, Canyonland National Park, and also Moab. Anybody had an opportunity to be there and, and visit those parks? I, th I think what I, I like about these parks so much is that they not only reveal these incredible shapes, but they reveal what used to be there. Not just what is physically present in those photographs, but what was present to shape things like that. And now, now in the world of, of science, we call that geology. And that talks about how things were formed and things were shaped. I would like to call it today our natural story. That there's story in a park like that. You, you wonder, how did that rock get up there? Or, or what forces, natural forces, were working against this rock face to get it to form and to look like it is. That there are elements not only of shapes, but there are elements of history that are still being preserved and displayed. That's the natural story. And just like the objects in this park, our lives on our faith journey are shaped. There are elements and forces that work against the rock face of who we are. Some of those things are good, some of those things are bad. Some of those things are successes, and some of those things are, are catastrophic mistakes that we've made in our lives. And our lives have shape. Our lives have encounters. Our lives have the effects of time written upon them. And that's part of our natural story. You look at Arches or Moab, or you look at, at, at any of those, look, um, I think, Garden of the Gods out in Colorado Springs, you know there's a story that is built into it, and it's a natural story. And today we're going to take a look at the natural story, part of the faith journey that all of us have. We have a natural story. But I wanted you to see a natural story that the Bible put on display for you to see. And that is of Abraham and Sarah. I think right after Adam and Eve, and then probably after Mary and Joseph, um, Abraham and Sarah are probably the most significant power couple in the Bible. They're the ones we hear the most about. Abraham it becomes the father of our faith, and even in the New Testament, he is kind of an example for all of us about his incredible faith and becomes the patriarch of the Jewish nation. And, and Sarah also is uh, lauded as this great person of faith. But regardless of how important they became, they had a natural story. They had rock face that was interacted with by elements. They got shaped. And some of the things were beautiful and some of the things weren't pretty, just like in our lives. And I wanted to take a look at some of their natural story. God had promised Abraham that he was going to give him the promised land. So he tells him, gives him a, a real easy instructions. He says, I want you to leave your homeland, and I want you to journey where I'm going to show you. Here's the actual dialogue, Genesis 12. He says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your kindred, your family, and your father's house. I think we all pretty much got a picture of what that is. And go to the land that I will show you. And I will make your name great. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Now, I don't know how much time passed between verse 1 and verse 4, but Abraham does 
just about everything God tells them to do, which is pretty much who we are. I mean, a lot of us are doing pretty much what God tells us to do. We're not murdering anybody. Most of us are trying to be good moms and dads, trying to be good neighbors, go to church. We, we try to get, you know, a lot of the good things accomplished in our life. And Abraham almost does everything that God tells him. He's very much like us. But he decides to bring his nephew, Lot. But we're told this immediately. Have you ever had a moment where you hear from God and it just goes in one ear and out the other? Where you're not even open to considering the option? And so God says to him, listen, I'm going to be on your side, Abraham. I want to help you. You're going to be great. I just need you to do a couple things. I want you to leave this land, and I want you to leave your father's family and all your kindred people, all, all the folks you're related to, I want you to leave them. And Abraham, just like us on every Sunday morning, oh, I want God, I want more than you, not, nothing but you, Lord. Singing a song, I want nothing but you. But already in our minds, we've, there's going to be an exception to how, much, how far we're really going to go with God. Some things just go through right in one ear and out the other. And as a result of it, Lot becomes a source of conflict for Abraham. Lot gets captured by these raiding tribes, and, and Abraham has to go to war against them. Abraham's living at peace with these other tribes, but because of his choice with Lot, Lot gets in trouble with these folks, and so now Abraham becomes odious to the surrounding nations because of Lot. And it doesn't end there. Lot gets caught up in some of the craziness in Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham has to get involved with God and has to talk to God about rescuing Lot. And, and so here is the same choice that he made where he decided he wasn't going to listen to God and it's still having an effect on him. Not even, it doesn't even stop there. Lot gets into a real weird family relationship that I can't even read from the Bible, but it is so weird that he ends up you know, children are being born in the next generation, and they becomes the father of the Moabite tribe, which ends up being a warring faction against Israel, almost the whole history of Israel. So Abraham, who was told just to do a couple things, says, yeah, yeah, I'll do that, I'll do that. Yeah, no, I'm taking Lot with me. I can't see why Lot can't come with me, God. And as a result of it, there's so much mess that seems to follow his life. Have you ever let... What God says, go in one ear and go out the other. You just decide you're not going to do that. You know, have you ever decided that God really couldn't have meant it and, that, and then do it the way that you want to do it? I think an area of example for me, and I think maybe for most of us, would be the area of forgiveness. That while we believe Jesus, it's all about forgiveness, Jesus, God forgave me on the cross, died for my sins, I think we all get that. And I think we can forgive our children for the things that they do. And I think we could forgive a couple other special people in our lives that, you know, um, of things. But then there's a specific person that the God wants you to forgive. And you've already decided, I don't care how many sermons I hear on forgiving, I'm just not doing it. It's not, la, 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 it's going in one ear, one out the other. I'm sorry, God, I'm just not going to do it. And as a result of it, I think all of us could track the ensuing mess of relationships that occur because we just decided that God could not possibly have meant forgiving that individual. And so Abraham, this man of faith, this patriarch of this incredible nation, undoes what he wants to do, and it creates a mess. 
And maybe you're here today and your natural history is a mess. Don't go anywhere. Don't leave. Because there's so much hope in this story that you're going to find out that God works in the life, in the topography of the life of people who have created messes. And Abraham, the father of our faith, just happens to be one of those guys. So let's go back and take a look at Abraham even a little bit more. He's the father of our faith. What, what, does that, what kind of park does that conjure up in your mind? He's the father of our faith. You know, Face of our Father's holy faith, we will be true to thee till death. Doesn't that sound courageous? Doesn't that sound amazing? You know, I mean, doesn't that sound like, man, that's what faith's about? Well, let's, let's see how courageous Abraham is. A famine occurs in the land, and him and his wife journey down to Egypt to get some food. In Genesis 12, we pick up the natural story of Abraham. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, Honey, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then... They will kill me, but they will let you live. God forbid, you know. Will you do me a favor? Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Ladies, you've always wanted to be married to a man of God. Well, here he is, trying to save his behind, okay? Trying to save his behind. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Now, I really feel bad for Pharaoh, and it really sounds unfair, but let me just say this. That when we no longer walk in the faith that God has called us to walk in, it plagues everyone around us. It doesn't just affect us. Okay, it, it affects everybody. Whether they should be affected or not, whenever we give up on our faith, it, it, it affects everybody. So, Pharaoh called Abram, this ungodly man, Pharaoh calls Abram and gives him a lesson in ethics. What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and get the heck out of here. Not exactly the courageous faith that we were expecting. But I've had moments like that, haven't you? Where, you know... You just, things were happening and your courage just disappears. You find yourself to be more anxious than expecting of God. You find yourself in fear more often than in strength. And here we have Abraham doing the exact same thing. It's part of his natural story. It's part of the things that shaped and formed him. Okay, so let's, let's give Abraham a break here. Uh, because we're an equal employment opportunity 
uh, kind of church. So let's talk about his wife a little bit. Then there was Sarai to be named Sarah. God had promised Abraham that he would be the father of a mighty nation. But he has one problem. He has no kids. So in Genesis 16, we are told that Sarah comes up with a great idea on how to solve this problem. Because isn't that what my wife does? Isn't that what moms do? I mean, isn't that, and I don't want to sound stereotypical here, but don't most women think that they need to save their husbands? Don't, think, don't most moms feel they need to fix their sons and what's wrong? I mean, don't they want to come up with a plan on not only how it should be done, but even how God should do it? And so here's Sarah comes up with this incredible plan. I love this plan. So Sarah said to Abraham, the Lord has prevented me from having children. So go and sleep with my servant. Now I had to, I had to give you the, most, the easiest version of the scriptures to read that in. But that is the plan she came up with. Well, God wants to do something great in our lives. God's not moving fast enough, so we need to come up with a new plan. Let's come up with another plan that I'm sure God's going to bless. Because, you know, whatever I do, God's going to bless. So she says, here's the plan. Go and sleep with my servant. Now, I'm about to read, and she said, perhaps I will have children through her. Now, I'm about to read to you what is a world record. It's a world record because never in the history of mankind has a man ever responded to his wife so quickly in a proposal than the proposal that Abraham gets and the response that he does. Come on, guys, you know what it's like. Hey, honey, when, you think you could repaint the deck? Yeah, I'll do it. You know, I, I, it's, it's, uh, it's going to take three more years before he gets done. Hey, honey, you think you could come help me with the dishes? Yeah, honey, after the show, can I do that? Yeah, okay, uh, hey, honey, you think, you know, you could take the kids here or you could go to the store here? Yeah, yeah, I'll get to it, honey. Just get off my back. I just, you know. And she says, then why don't you go sleep with my servant? And Abraham agreed with Sarah's proposal. I don't know how long that took, but I don't think it took very long. Now, I don't mean to sound real cardinal here, carnal here, but, uh, you know, Abraham, hey, I've been hearing from God, but I like what I'm hearing from my wife right now. I'm liking this other option here, and all of us have heard other options presented to us. Oh, God really wants to move in your life. Instead of his way, we can accomplish the plan of God our own way. I don't know what exactly motivated her, but I'm willing to guess, based upon my life experience with uh, the four women that have lived in my house with my wife, and that she might have felt pressure to help God fulfill the promises to Abraham. She didn't want to wait patiently upon God to execute his own plan. But I don't think that's not too, I don't think that's unfamiliar. I think of a lot of our lives have been shaped by bad choices that we've made it. Whether it's financial, can't wait to save, pull out the credit card. I think a lot of our lives have contours and geological imprints as a result of us not being willing to do financially the way that God would want us to do it. I think a lot of us are in relationships because we didn't want to wait on what the Lord wanted to, to give us in our lives and to experience in our lives. I think we've, we've all had that geological impact in our lives of not waiting for God to execute his plan or trying to execute the plan of God the way that we think it would be best executed. 
That's kind of, I'm in one of those situations right now. As you all know, this church floods uh, annually. It's kind of our, our little um, yeah, thing that we do here. And, um, you know, I, it has been the toughest journey because, you know, it's flooded three times in three years now and probably will flood in October. So probably the second or third week. We invite you to hang around be a part of that with us. It's an exciting time, but it'll probably flood again. And it's like, well, Paul, why don't you sell it? Well, I can't sell it. Well, Paul, why don't you fix it? I had $2.2 million to fix it. Well, Paul, why don't you sue the city? Well, we're, you know, all this. And then, Paul, why don't you get engineers? We've got the engineers. We've got all that. We've been working every option possible. And God's just like, you know what? You just need to relax. And it's going to work out. Uh, but the, I tell you, the rush to try to, you know, I could call Channel 5 today. And I could say, the, the city has done us wrong, and they're not helping us, and blah, blah, blah. And I could badmouth the mayor, and I could badmouth city council, and I could talk about this all the time. We're going to assume, and I could cause a real stink. And God's like, nope, I want, you, I want you to take this like a man of God. I want you to be wise as a serpent and as harmless as a dove. And I'll tell you what, that's hard to pull off. I know what it's like to be Sarah and want to do this the way that I think it should be done because that's the way we did it in Boston and that's the way we should do it here. And, and some of you Southern folks, you know how to get things done too. And you, know, and you would get this done in this situation. And God's like, no, I've got a plan, but are you willing to wait for my plan and how it's going to unfold? And I think you're like me, that maybe you've tried to take it into your own hands. Um, as a result of it, a servant girl gives birth to a child, and as a result, we have jealousy, contempt, domestic war breaks out, no real big surprise. I think you know about that. Whenever we disobey God, are we really surprised that we have trouble surrounding it? I mean, why are we, we're not, we shouldn't be surprised. We know um, that it's going to occur. And that's usually what happens when we decide to do our own plan apart from the plan of God. Then to add to it, God tells Abraham and Sarah how he's going to resolve this childlessness problem. Because he knows you have a problem. He knows that Sarah hasn't had a child. He knows, he knows how old she is. She knows how, he knows how old Abraham He knows that there is a problem here. So he, God tells Abraham and Sarah how he's going to resolve this childlessness. Um, but I want you to hear how Sarah rolls in this story in Genesis 18. Then the Lord, by the presence of an angel, said to Abraham, he said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Just picture this. She's kind of hiding behind the tent, and she's listening to this conversation between this angel of the Lord and, and, and Abraham. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with her. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Now the reason why I read that, and, and again, I picked the most benign version of the scriptures that I could read that out of, is because... They had the same crazy concerns that we have. You know, she's talking about, is Abraham too old? Is she too old? You know, 
She understood the difficulty of the situation, and she's just laughing. Is this really going to happen? And then the Lord said to Abraham, he said, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you, and about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Now, this is beautiful. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. I mean, this is almost like a kid's show. I didn't laugh, and the Lord says to her, oh, yes, you did. Oh, no, I didn't. I wasn't laughing. Oh, yes, you were. You know, it's, it's like Abraham's like, okay, you two, calm down. You know, Sarah, did you laugh? No, I didn't laugh. The Lord's like, yes, you did. You laughed. She gets in an argument with whether or not, and I, and I think the reason why she's arguing is this, is because we get embarrassed when we doubt. Because we think we're not, we're not allowed to laugh at the ideas of God. People will tell me, you know, Paul, I've been praying for the church. It's not going to flood this year. And you know what I do? I laugh. I, I mean, I'm just like, yeah, like that's really not going to happen. Like it's not going to happen. And Sarah wanted to cover up her lack of faith so much that she was willing to even lie to God about whether or not she laughed. Hey, we're all sitting here and we're having moments of doubt. And are you lying to yourself about it? You're, you may be lying to God about it, but he knows that we're laughing. He knows that when Mr. Ben says, hey, let me pray for you because I believe God can heal you, he knows you're laughing inside. You know, when, you, when, when somebody says that God's got a plan for your life and you're going through difficulty, don't you sometimes laugh with cynicism and, and sarcasm or, or just skepticism at, at the least? I think we've all laughed at the plan of God, that God can really pull this off. Sarah did. So why do I lay all this out? Because it's part of their road trip. You need to know this. The parts that I read to you came directly out of the Genesis account. So what Moses was instructed by God to do was to, to write a natural history about Abraham and the formation of this nation. So he writes about the stuff that's going on inside of their lives. It is the context, it is the nature of their lives, and he writes it all down. But we all have a natural story. We all have a context. You were raised in a broken family or in a functional family. I have the context of being raised in an Irish-Italian Catholic home in Boston. That's got shape to it. You might, have been, you might be African-American and raised in the South or maybe raised on the, East, on the West Coast. That has context. You may have uh, been somebody that has trouble with alcohol or maybe with drugs. Or, um, that's all part of your natural story. It's part of the context of your story. But now I want you to hear another account of their lives. You're going to be like, is this the same two people? I mean, it's like you are reading Sarah and Abraham. Let me read you Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 12. By faith, because you've got to put a little bit of voice into it. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place where he was to receive an inheritance. No mention of Lot. No mention of 
lying to Pharaoh about his wife. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he went out to inherit this place. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents, tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations whose builder, designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah, by faith, Sarah, by faith, Sarah, herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered God faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, Abraham, and him as good as dead, were born the descendants as many as the stars of the heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. It's like, is this the same story? See, this account of their lives is what we're going to call their grace story. Because we all can have two stories. We all share one story in common. We all share the natural story. We all have it. We have a natural story. But this story is being told as a grace story because this is how God tells the story of Abraham and Sarah. He wants us to know what the natural story is, but he also wants us to know how he talks about you and me when we're not in the room. With all of our natural history, with all of our screw-ups, with all of our mistakes, with all our um, inclinations to do wrong, you want to know what God says about you? This is what God says about, about Abraham and Sarah. By faith they believed God. Because they had two stories. And God here today is offering you a second story to your life. We all have a natural story, but we all can also have a grace story. We are all formed by nature, and we are all shaped by the context of our experiences. We all have geology. There are some of us that people look at and say, how did that rock get up there? How the heck is God using that guy? I wonder why he's so weird or he thinks the way that he thinks. But we all can be reformed by the God story, by the grace story. In the grace story, we found out what they did right. Abraham believed God. Sarah believed God. They chose to believe in the grace story for their lives instead of the natural story. They believed that this grace story was greater than their natural story. And that's where God wants to speak to us today. Because some of us are believing the natural story only about our lives. What your dad said about you. That you'd never amount to anything. That you'd never succeed. You know, some of us have shame built into our natural story. That you're a drunk and you're always going to be a drunk that you'll never amount to anything as a, as a mom or as a woman or, or as a man. And for some of us, we believe only our natural story. That's all that we're ever going to be. You can't teach a, an old dog new tricks. But you can give a new, an old dog a new story. And that's what God, that's what Abraham and Sarah did right. They knew their story, yeah. 
my stupid husband. We were going down into Egypt, and I remember that time that he tried to pretend I was his sister, you know, and, and they're probably like now like in their 90s laughing about it, you know, like a, a, a southern couple sitting on a porch with some iced tea laughing. Honey, do you, yeah, honey, you remember that time that... You remember Hagar, right? You remember, remember you came up with that Hagar idea, and they're probably just cackling and laughing. And then you say, well, what happened? And then they, they would tell you, a grace story occurred to us. We allowed God, we believed God's story about us more than we believed our genetic story, more than we believed our father's story. They believed it so much that God changed their names. Because when you believe God's grace story about you, it changes your identity. It does. You may wonder, how the heck do I come up here every Sunday with the drug background, the divorce, and, and all the other stuff that I've done wrong? How do you stand up here? Because I don't believe my natural story is greater than my grace story. I'm up here because I got a grace story. That's what the Apostle Paul says, that, we're, that when we're in Christ, we're new creations. Old things have passed away. It doesn't mean you can't see my geology, but I got a new story. New things have come into my life. I've got a new story inside, a natural story. The natural story is this. We all make mistakes. So let's, let's not act like we don't have a natural story. I know you have a natural story. That's one of the reasons why I'm not concerned about being too much of a fool up here on Sunday morning. It's because I know you got a natural story too. Sure, maybe your problem isn't what my problem is, but I know you got a problem. And on Sunday morning, we all come in here acting like we don't have a natural story. Like we don't stink, you know? That we don't smell bad. And it's like, no, I know, I love you all, but I know you all stink. I know you all have a natural story. But you know what's even better about you? It's that you have an opportunity through Christ to have a grace story. And I know some of the grace stories that God's doing in your life. They're an absolutely amazing story. The grace story is that we can live beyond our mistakes. So the big thing for today is have you accepted God's grace story? Don't give up on your mistakes. Don't give up because your natural story has defined you. Don't let your genetics or your context of experience define who you are because God wants to put a grace story inside of you. Don't hate your natural story. Once I was lost, but now I'm found. See, I have to have a natural story and then the grace story looks amazing in, the mat in, in this natural story. So I'm not afraid to say, once I was blind, once I was lame, but now I walk. I was blind, but now I see. I was deaf, but now I hear. But I am a grace story embedded in a natural story. So I am not ashamed of who I am because of Christ who lives within me. I think it's so beautiful that God, when he told Abraham how to describe him, they wanted to, you know, God, what should we call you? When we run into people who don't know you, what should we call you? He says, here's what I want you to tell them. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What? You mean to tell me you change my identity, but then you take 
you're not ashamed to take my identity into your name? God was not ashamed to be called into association with Abraham's natural and grace stories. And he's not ashamed to be in your story either. At Christmas time, we call it the incarnation. We talk about Jesus being born of a virgin coming into the world. What is Jesus doing? Jesus joined our natural story so that we could join his grace story. Paul said it this way, while we were yet sinners, while we were living out our natural story, Christ died for us. He didn't say, clean up your natural story and then I'll come down and we can negotiate whether or not my story is gonna be a part of your story. While we were, while we were messing up our story, we didn't even know we were messing up our story, Christ died for us and he came down into the world for us. I'm even gonna blow your mind even further than this. And if you're into Star Trek, you may like this. The Bible tells us, before God created the foundations of the world, the Lamb of God was slain before it even took place. Because God said, you know, I love these people so much, but if I create them, they're gonna screw up and they're gonna have this crazy natural story. But he says to himself, but you know what? A great story embedded in a natural story is better than no story. So I'm willing to endure their natural story so that we can end up with a great story. That's why he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. That's why he says to as many as, of, as us who believe, like Abraham and Sarah, he gives the right to become the sons and daughters of God, a new, st a, a new story, a new origin. So I don't know where you, you are today. I don't know how bad you've messed it up, but today God is here. And in the body and blood of Christ, as we take that bread and we, we eat it in the context of our old story, the grace story enters us. Let God love you. Let, let God's love let you love you. Let the grace, the grace story abound beyond your natural story. Father, as we enter into this moment with you, we thank you because I am not just my father's son. I am my heavenly father's beloved. You have given me a new story, a grace story. And you said, come unto me, all of you who have been rutted out by time and the elements of mistakes, and I will give you rest. I will bring beauty in places that are arid. I will bring joy where despair once lived. So, Father, we just welcome you here in this place. You bring the grace story into this moment that when Jesus' body was dead and laid in a tomb and his natural story had come to an end, on the third day, you infused the grace story into the natural story and the resurrection occurred. Today, you invite us that the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead would even quicken in us a new story. We thank you, Father. We invite you to come and receive the grace story of God. Believe it. 
more than you believe even your own story.